We're in our third week in this new series on revival. Uh, we've been talking about what revival is. We've, we've talked about the need. Well, the first week was about the need, right? It was, uh, we have this great need for revival. We have this great need to uh, prepare our hearts. We have a great need to see the, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on, on God's people, on the church, on all flesh, frankly. And uh, so we learned in that first week that Jesus was talking to his disciples and some of them had tried to cast out an unclean spirit from a boy who, who had this problem and, and they couldn't do it and Jesus came along and, and, and did it and he healed the boy and, he, and then they asked him later, why couldn't we do this? Because they'd been given the power to do those types of things and he said, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. And it, te- it teaches us something. It taught us something at that time that spiritual strength, st- spiritual power has to come from God. It comes through our connection to him. And we, we looked at the details of that text and, and thought, well, maybe these guys were, they were trusting in their own abilities. They somehow had missed or forgotten that they were really connected to Christ, that it was Jesus who did these things, not them in and of themselves. And so... Um, Jesus rebuked them and, and says that he called them faithless, faithless. And, uh, and it kind of strikes at our hearts a bit when, when we're called to do something, we know we are called to do it and we, and we just aren't doing it. And we, and we say, Jesus, are we trying to do this on our own strength or are we just faithless? And... Uh, we learned the lesson, and that was that spiritual revival, that faith, that power, it comes through spending time with Jesus and in his word. And uh, I quoted that quote from Anne Graham Lotz. Uh, I need the spiritual revival that comes from spending quiet time alone with Jesus in prayer and in thoughtful meditation on his word. We need this type of prayer. We need this type of revival. And this is a precondition for revival. It's a preparation for revival, isn't it? It's prayer. It's intense going before the Lord, sitting in his presence, meditating on his word. Corporately, individually, we need this. And here's why I say this. The second week, we talked about the definition of revival. And we learned that revival means essentially to wake up and live. It means to wake up and live. And, and the basic idea is that we're returning to uh, the returning of something to its true nature and purpose. Um, and I quoted from Jonathan Edwards, again, a tremendous theologian in the 1700s. He said, revival is not a special season of extraordinary religious excitement. Rather, it is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which restores the people of God to normal spiritual life after a period of corporate declension. Are you getting that up there? It's not there. I've got lots of stuff up there. You guys are missing out. I could tell you weren't looking up there. It's easier sometimes when you look up there and read along with me. But um, so, so revival is not a special season of extraordinary outpouring or religious excitement, right? There we go. 
but rather it's an outpouring of the Holy Spirit which restores the people of God to normal spiritual life. I, wanna, I want us to see that it's normal spiritual life that we're after, not dead orthodoxy, not dead um, plain humdrum, you know, 99% world, 1% God uh, Christianity. I mean, we need to have normal spiritual life which is really living in the spirit, power of the Spirit. It's, it's really when life comes in and through us. And so it's that special move of the Spirit of God is what we're looking for. And it renews the hearts of the believers. And so we looked at what happens when revival comes. Um, and we looked at that story of Cornelius in his house in Acts chapter 11. And how he, he had had the vision and called on Peter. And Peter came and spoke the good news. And the Spirit of God fell upon Cornelius and his whole household, and they were saved. And it, the end point was that God had granted them repentance that leads to life, just as he did on the first believers at Pentecost. And so we see this, it's a, it's a repetitive thing that's happening, that the, the outpouring of the Spirit, the changing of lives, the Extraordinary and overwhelming presence of God. The church needs this. And it's something that we ought to be crying out for. Now this morning, I want us to look at Exodus 33. So if you have a a Bible, you can begin turning there. But I want us to see how Exodus 33, how there's this extraordinary, amazing presence of God. That the power of God comes. And and I want us to see what happens when, when he visits um, we're going to look at the purpose of revival. So we've looked at the need, right? We've looked at what it is, right? The, the actual, what, what it is, it's something, uh, it's a returning to the true nature and purpose. And so here's the purpose. Exodus 33. Moses said to the Lord, oh, sorry, uh, verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Verse 15. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us, so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. And Moses says, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live and the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, 
And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. This is God's word. Um, I got a little carried away, um, so we're only going to make it through the first point. Um, So I want to talk about what does revival do? It does at least two things because we want to know the purpose. So one of the purposes, at least one of the purposes, is that it brings assurance to his people. And I want to show you how that happens in this story. But, but the, my, my overarching point of this sermon and probably next week's will be that the revival is for God's glory and man's good. I want us to understand that. Revival is for God's glory and for man's good. So two-pronged. So we're going to look at man's good. How is revival good for man? It brings assurance to his people. And let's look at how that happens. So verse 18 in particularly kind of just launches this idea. Because Moses says, please show me your glory. I don't know if that hits you like it, like it ought to. When, when he says, please show me your glory. Now, why would Moses ask God to show him his glory at this point. Matter of fact, how could he even have the audacity to ask, right, for the Lord of glory to show him his glory? Okay. It's amazing to me. Okay. So let's look at what's going on in the context here. And we know that Moses led the people out of Egypt. We know they came out of 400 years of slavery now they're, they've come out of Egypt, and now they're in the wilderness. And it's only, it's only been a short time. And they haven't yet figured out how to do life on their own, apart from slavery. And they're, they're, Moses, is at, God instructs them to come up on the mountain. I've got some instruction for you to give to the people. I'm going to teach you how to teach them how to be in relationship with me. Because they haven't done this in a long time. And they don't know how to do it. And part of that instruction that he, that he gave Moses was, was the Ten Commandments. We know this. And so they're coming down the mountain. And it just happens, the chapter right before this, chapter 32, and it said, here's, here's the interesting part. It says, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, because he's up there getting these instructions, and they're down in the valley. The people gathered themselves together to Aaron and, and said to him, now Aaron was his brother, right? Up, make us gods, who shall go before us? As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So they're grumbling, right? They grumble that... Moses has been gone a long time. He might be dead, okay? So, Aaron, you're the second in charge. Make us some gods so we can worship. So, just as a total side note, this free, chart, free of charge, no extra <laughs> charge. Um, uh, 
You know, when God's people become impatient, it always causes problems. Always. It all, you know, and here they are, impatient with God, impatient with God's man on the mountain, right? Impatient. They, they don't, they don't want to wait for, for what is coming to them. And God is preparing it all, and they don't even want to wait for it. And so, you know what happens next. Well, the people make the golden calf, right? And Moses comes down the mountain. He hears them celebrating and, and worshiping this thing. And, and God's anger flares up. You know, like, God, you don't want to make God hot. It says he's hot with anger, you know. And he threatens, he says, Moses, I'm going to consume them. Okay, that's what he said. And he's going to consume them. And then he said, I'm going to make you a great nation. So he's going to wipe them all out and make a nation out of Moses. Now, that tells us one thing. God's thinking long term here. Right? He's going to start over with one guy and build a nation. Okay? (laughs) That's got to be funny to you, doesn't it? I mean, God is that patient, that long term thinking. that He's like, okay, boom, let's get rid of these guys. And we're going to start with one guy. And we're going to wait like... 15 generations till we get a nation and then you know I thought that was hilarious Um, anyway Moses says please don't consume your people right and and they uh, God relents and he says I will not you know I won't do it but I won't go up with you in other words I won't take you into the promised land personally I'll send an angel and so then Moses goes back and says, you know, pleads with God. Oh, we, we want your presence. We've got to have your presence. If we don't have your presence, what marks us as different than anybody else on the face of the earth? What makes us special is your presence, God. Um, so God relents again. And so we come to the point of this morning's sermon, really in, in verses 17 and 18, because he says, this very thing you have spoken I will do for you, for you, you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. So, so he's, he's not going to consume the people, and he's relented and said, I will go with you. And then he, and then, so Moses is now going, well, I got two out of two requests, right? He's, he's batting a hundred, okay? Two out of two. He hits him with the big one, right? This is the big one. Please show me your glory. Now, God, Moses knew that God was with him. He knew this already because he had seen what God was doing. He wouldn't consume the nation, right? I mean, he was willing to consume the nation and make a nation out of him. So he knew God was with him. And then after asking and pleading, he knew he was with the people as well because he, God didn't consume the people and said, I'll go up with them. So he knows this now. He's, he's got this assurance, right? He's growing in his assurance of faith. But now he says, you know what? Since you've you know, gone that far, I don't know what, what he was thinking other than this was, this was a spontaneous thing out of his heart. 
he, just, he becomes emboldened. And he just says, show me your glory. You know, and he wanted, yes, he wanted the assurance of faith. But, you know, the question has to be, partly in your minds this morning, is do, do the children of God have the right to come after God and, like, negotiate with them and do this sort of thing, right? Because it seems like Moses is really, you know, coming at, you know, like, my son, when he was young, he, he would always ask, you know, can I, have, can I have a donut? And if I said yes, he would say, can I have two? I mean, immediately, it was, it was comical the way he would do that to me. Every, and it didn't matter what it was. If I said yes, he would ask for two of them, you know, or five of them, or however many he could hold in both hands. It was, so Moses, is that what he's doing? Um, well, I think we have the right to come to God and to ask big things of him. I just, I'll just lay that out there. I think we have the right to do that because he, we're his children. I, I think that we hesitate in doing so. I think that we're the ones that are not emboldened. But if we were in his if we were in Moses' place and we saw the assurance of faith growing and how God was doing this for the people of God and doing that for the people of God. Now, remember, he's already brought a people out of Egypt. He's brought them through the sea. Remember, he held the staff, the sea parted. I mean, they have seen some amazing things, God moving on their behalf. So Moses has is, got a tremendous wealth of assurance of faith. But how about you and I? When we ask should we ask and do we ask? Well, it depends on the relationship. Now, if you have a superficial relationship with God, like just you go to him when you, you know, when there's major crisis, you know, when you have nowhere else to go, but, but the rest of the time there's no thought of God. It's a little bit like Calvin and Hobbes. I'm, I'm into Calvin and Hobbes, you can tell lately. Like he looks up and he goes, I wish it would snow, Right? And then this singular snowflake comes down and hits him in the forehead. And then he looks and he goes, I know when I'm being mocked. <laughs> right? Some of you have kids. I have a child like that. I mean, just that's the personality. And I know when I'm being mocked. You know, so that's a superficial relationship with God, Right? I mean, Moses knew God's ways. Moses knew and had an intimate friendship with God. He was emboldened by the relationship that they had. He could ask for big things. You know, uh, there was a godly Scottish minister named Samuel Rutherford, and he had suffered a a lot for Christ. And he, he said, it is faith's work to claim and challenge loving kindness out of all the rough, roughest strokes of God. Think about that. The difficulties in life. Faith has to claim and challenge loving kindness out of those things. We have to see God's good hand in it, is what he's saying, in the difficulties of life. And so what Moses is doing for the people, you know, he he was asking not for, he was asking to seek glory. It wasn't just for his sake. And it wasn't just for the people's sake. It was really for, for God's sake. 
It was for God's glory that he wanted to see glory. In other words, what's the purpose? The main question on the floor is, what's the purpose of, of revival? And, and it's, we know revival is for God's glory and man's good. So revival is when God uses the church to make much of his name for his namesake and blesses people, blesses man, is good to mankind. So let me just put that out there. God uses, this is what revival is. It's God using the church to make much of his own name. It's not, it's not, it is a blessing to us. But the primary concern is God using us to make much of him. Do we see it that way? I mean, do we, do we see it that way? I hope we do. You know, so we should ask our desires to see this happen. We should pray for this. This should be the, the burning desire of our heart. And, and going back to that, you know, when, when you know someone fully accepts you, I mean, utterly receives you, accepts you, loves you, you, you are willing to open up to that person. I mean, you know this. Um, some, some marriages have this. Some marriages don't. But some marriages have this where you just feel utterly comfortable with that person to where you can share anything because you know you're not going to be rejected. And, and what, what I'm getting at here is that and it emboldens you, right, in the relationship. Because now you're safe. I'm safe. I can say anything, do anything, be anything, and I know I'm, I'm loved. I think that Moses felt that. I think that Moses had that with God. Utter acceptance and love with, in the presence of God. So much so that when he realized that God, God had said, I'm giving you my favor. I mean, he said it right there in the verse. I'm giving you my favor. My favor is on you. It spontaneously came out of him. He just said, please show me your glory. Like, it just came out. It wasn't, it wasn't something he had to think hard about and wonder uh, what are the implications of me asking this? You know, um, what, what might happen? No, it's, it's like he was safe, utterly loved, felt totally comfortable, and, and said, show me your glory. What's next? God, I want to see more of you. And, and he wasn't asking for any other reason other than I want God for God's sake. I just want more of you. And, and so nothing more, just him. And he wasn't asking for blessings, right? He wasn't asking for this and that and the other thing. He was saying, I want you, God. And the psalmist wrote this in Psalm 42, as a deer pants for the flowing stream, so my soul, my pant, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Do you know anything like that? Do you, do you ever have that panting? Do you ever, do you, ever you know, the picture is, is, a, is a, 
as a deer that has just run and galloped and, and finds water and is, and is lapping that water up. It's, it's a picture of just a thirst being quenched. So my soul longs for you, God. Is that, is that something that you resonate with? Is that something you've thought of? Is that something that you've longed for? And um, Jonathan Edwards, again, I'll quote a couple of things from him, but he said, sometimes, this is how deep he was. This is how sensitive he was to God and his word and so on. He said, sometimes only mentioning a single word causes my heart to burn within me, right? He said, or only seeing the name of Christ or the name of some attribute of God and God has appeared glorious to me. On account of the Trinity, it has made me have exalting thoughts of God that he subsists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. The sweetest joys and delights I have experienced have not been those that have arisen from a hope of my own good estate, but in direct view of the glorious things of the gospel. When I enjoy this sweetness, it seems to carry me above the thoughts of my own estate. It seems at such times a loss that I cannot bear. I I take my eye off of the glorious, pleasant object I beheld without me to turn my eye in upon myself and my own good estate. In other words, what he's after, what he's saying is that sometimes when I see the pleasant, glorious vision of God in his word, through even just a word of scripture that just grabs him, and he spends time thinking in there, he, he doesn't like having to leave that and come out into the real world and actually deal with life. <laughs> does, that, does that ever occur to you? It's like you get in the presence of God, into his word, and you spend time there, and you feel, and we're gonna, I'm going to talk about the glory, the weight of his glory next week, but when you feel that upon you, you your own stuff fades away, and you don't want anything else. And it's bothersome to have to go back and deal with your own stuff. <laughs> you know, if you don't know anything about what I'm talking about, you need that quote from Ann Graham Lotz, I need the spiritual <laughs> revival that comes from spending quiet time alone with Jesus in prayer and in thoughtful meditation on his word. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, this then is the ultimate the end of the true seeking for revival, the prayer for revival is ultimately a prayer based upon a concern for the manifestation of the glory of God. That's what we're praying for, a manifestation of the glory of God. That's what the prayer of revival is, a manifestation of the glory. We're saying glorify yourself, Lord, through us. That's what we're saying. You know, revival is... For God's glory and man's good. And it's when he uses the church to make much of his own name. Do you feel that? I mean, 
Are you feeling what's being said? In other words, do you know the longing of the heart to see the glory of God? It's a very simple message. Or, or are you satisfied with the amount of God that you've got? You know, I, I mean, I talk to people on the street, and, and they're good with God. I don't know if they have even an ounce of God, but they feel as though they're all right with God. They, they got it worked out. And, you know, I can hear, I mean, that, that's the objection. You know, I'm perfectly satisfied with the amount of God that I have, the experience I have with God. I'm content. You know, but first of all, God's not an object that we would have an amount of. Right? He's a person. And he owns us. He owns you. He owns all of us. And, and the sooner we give ourselves to him, all of us to him, all of ourselves to him, the sooner, sooner the, better, the better off we will be. Man's good. Revival. Man's good. Right? Um, it, it means it's for your good. You know, in my, when I look at what Moses is doing here, he's saying, I want more of God. He wasn't satisfied with the level of, of whatever that relationship was, which he had an amazing relationship with God, okay? He spoke with God face to face. At one point, his face, he had to wear a veil over his face because his face was glowing from being in the presence of God. People couldn't even look on him. That's how close a relationship he had, and yet here he's saying, I want more. Want more? I mean, does that amaze you? I, mean, I guess you know he's a glutton. <laughs> he wanted more. Do you know this longing? Do you know this feeling of, of saying, you know, I, you ask for snow and you get one snowflake, like Calvin, right? We ought to be thankful for that, right? We should be thankful. I mean, that's not mockery. That, just be thankful you got one flake, right? I mean, and look around. We got lots of flakes here. <laughs> I set you up on that. You know, God is uh, going to use the church for his own glory. That's his point. Some of you are just getting that, right? I, uh, is there anyone here that has this longing the longing for assurance, really, that, that, that Moses came with, a greater amount of assurance. You, like Moses, want to see God move, you, and you've seen him move, but you want to see him move again. Well, that's revival, folks. That's what it means. And it's God bringing assurance. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 13, he said that, that many of the Old Testament saints longed to see what they were seeing in that day. And I'll read the text. It's, it's from 13, verse 16. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly, I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and hear what you hear and did not hear it. You know, what, is he, what is he saying? He's saying, I am standing in front of you, and I am the Lord of glory. I am the glory that Moses longed to see. 
okay? Because we know this from John 1. He says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. It was gl- he embodied the glory of God. We know this. And Jesus prayed. Here's, here's the kicker. He prayed for his disciples in John 17. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Jesus always existed. He never didn't exist. He's co-equal with the Father and the Spirit, the second person of the Trinity. And yet, his glory was concealed in, in part, at least, while he was here. But that's what Moses longed to see, was the glory that Christ came and displayed. And so you see the Father's glory, you see Christ. You see Christ, you see the Father's glory. Later in Revelation, when he's talking, John is writing and he's talking about the heavenly city. And he says, and I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. Folks, the glory of God will shine so brightly. And it's shining through the the person of Christ in what he accomplished for us at the cross. Do we know this? Do we long for this? Do we long to see him? Um, I want to end with one quote of how this looked in the life of Jonathan Edwards. He tells a personal story. He said, once I rode out into the woods for my health in 1737, having alighted from my horse in a retired place, as my manner commonly has been, to walk for divine contemplation and prayer. I had a view that for me was extraordinary of the glory of the Son of God as mediator between God and man and his wonderful, great, full, pure, sweet grace and love and meek and gentle condescension. His grace, this grace, that appeared so calm and sweet, appeared so great above the heavens. The person of Christ appeared ineffably excellent, with an excellency great enough to swallow up all thought and conception, which continued as near as I can judge about an hour, which kept me the greater part of the time in a flood of tears and weeping aloud. I felt an ardency of the soul to be what I know not otherwise to express emptied and annihilated, to lie in the dust and to be filled with Christ alone, to love him with a holy and a pure love, to trust in him, to look upon him, to serve and to follow him and to be perfectly sanctified and made pure with a divine and heavenly purity. I have several other times had views very much of the same nature 
and which have had the same effect. Have you ever had this kind of experience where you just are poured out before the Lord in such a way that, that you, want, you feel like you want to be emptied? He said, emptied and annihilated. <laughs> like, just decimate me, Lord, and fill me back up with your love, with your holiness, with your purity. And when, when you have those experiences and you come away from them, you, you feel like, now I can serve. Now I want to serve. Now I want to follow him more perfectly. Now I want to love other people like I ought to. This is the kind of experience God has for us. This is not special. Jonathan Edwards was not special in that regard. He was a man. But he sought the Lord. He spent time, quiet time, alone with Jesus in prayer and in thoughtful meditation on his word. In those days, he had to ride out on a horse into the woods and walk through the woods and talk with God. Do we do that? Do we find a place? It doesn't have to be out in the woods, doesn't it? It could be in a closet. It could be anywhere. But do we talk with him? Um, I know people who go out on their boat and claim they do on Sunday mornings. Um, not sure that's exactly what's going on, but um, do you have the assurance? Have you had the experience? I pray you have. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what in this world right now it matters most to your heart. I don't know what's on your mind. I don't know your deepest burdens. Um, I don't know what burning desires you have right now. But I know when we come to God and, and we ask for what we're describing here, this, this overflowing, extraordinary power of God to come upon us and to change us, to give us the assurance of faith and trust in him, to let the, the cares of this world go away and to fill us anew with him. If that, that's what, you, that's what he's offering us. And I pray that we would just receive it. Receive it in Christ today. Let me pray. Our God and Father, we, we long for this. We long for an outpouring of your spirit. We long to be touched in a way that makes us, makes us new and pure and holy, makes us, just annihilates us so that we can rise from the ashes being lifted by you and being filled anew, strengthened to walk for you. I pray this for your people, Lord. Come Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.